Welcome. This talk was recorded at Insight LA in Long Beach. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at InsightLA.org. Hey, welcome everybody. Good to see you. Yeah, so I I thought to I thought today um, we would kind of get into. Um, I think I put on there what to practice, you know, kind of, kind of narrowing down on the actual, the actual practices that themselves. And, you know, what I've noticed and been um, teaching one-on-ones for, you know, quite a long time now, maybe, you know, ever since I started maybe 10 years ago, eight years or something like this. And then at the mental health facilities where I've worked, you know, I would see 15 to 25 people a day that were on some kind of, you know, meditation, you know, program for years and working with groups, the same thing, getting people up and running on a meditation program and all of that. And one of the hardest things that I've seen is people just figuring out what they want to do, like, like, what do I actually sit down and do day to day on a day to day basis? And then how long do I do it for, you know, what's the kind of recipe, you know, like, should I do a little bit of this meditation, a little bit of that meditation? How long do I stick, you know, with that meditation? When do I move on? What kind of informal practice do I do? <clears throat> kind of where the rubber meets the road. Um, what actually practices, what practices should I be doing? And the second piece of this is how do I get there? (laughs) You know, there's like, okay, this is the practices that I've kind of set forth for myself. And then there's getting there, right? So like getting to the cushion, I call it, and staying on the cushion. Like those are the two kind of big chunks of the the practice, right? So there's tools for each. So if you're sitting there and saying, oh, you know, I, I have, I kind of know what I want to do, but I have a really hard time getting there. Of course, you're not alone. Like we all go through, go through that, right? Um, one thing that I like to do, I figure out over the years when I meet somebody, when we're having our first, you know, call, or if I'm just meeting them, Zoom session, whatever, and uh, we're trying to figure out what's, what's the best way to, to work together. The first thing I try to figure out is how do they experience reality? And there's a few different doors that I've figured out um, along the way that when I meet somebody, there's people that are processing the world around them through the intellect for the most part, of course, we're all, this is, we're all a lot, you know, all, all these three things, we all have aspects, but I've noticed that there's emphasis of so people emphasize certain things. So some people emphasize the intellect. So they're more intellectual types. You could, you kind of know fairly quickly, right? Like, oh, they're processing a lot through, 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 through the mind. Then there's others that process the world around them through kind of more, I like to say, the heart. Like, so more feeling tones, more, more feelers, 
um, more the, more of the heart kind of um, kind of in this way that they're they're feelers, right? So not not so much. Um, all, and again, we're all mixtured, but they 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 we all have mixes, or we're all a mixture of these three things. But they interact more through feelings and and the heart. The the third type is the body. So uh, classic uh, classic example. If I'm working with athletes and and whatnot, they process a lot through through the body. So these are kind of like three filters, I guess is maybe a better way to put it. And I've seen this as really important, looking at the type of practices that we do. So these are both, these can be a strength and a weakness. So depending on where we fit in, there are a strength and there are weakness. And what I've seen is, is that there are strength because this can be our Dharma door, right? This is our Dharma door because there's techniques that are more heart-based. There are techniques that are more for the intellectual types. And there's techniques that are more for the people that identify with the physical body. So you have mindful movement, walking meditation, body scans, you know, for the body type of people. Um, you have metta, loving kindness, you know, the Brahma Viharas, or the feeling types of people. Of course, Vedana, which is mindfulness of, of feelings, pleasant, unpleasant, neutral. Then you have the whole wisdom sphere of, of the intellect. You know, you have things like contemplations on impermanence and, and dukkha, um, interdependence. Um, and then with the intellect, it's kind of going to, into that whole world of learning and contemplating, listening to Dharma talks, the more the philosophical aspects um, of the practice and all this, which is awesome. So we have different pieces of the practice falling into these different categories. The weakness, of course, is when we get stuck, is when we get stuck on, you know, I really like this one, and then we get out of balance, right? So um, the very common one is the intellect. I would say this is more of what I see than the other two is that we are, we absorb things through the intellect. And, you know, I say this probably every Dharma talk, we, we, we absorb too much through the intellect and we don't sit enough, you know? So this is a very basic thing that kind of keeps us from the sitting because we keep trying to learn more. Oh, I need to learn more. Yeah. But are we learning more through the practice? Or are we learning more through the intellect? I would say most of us have more than enough information to, to be good meditators. We have more than enough information. We have plenty of practices that we know. We have plenty of tools to settle the mind once they're in, once we're at, you know, on the cushion and practicing. We actually just need to practice more, right? So th these are three um, you know, big uh, sections, you know, that I see to kind of look at. So that's the first thing that, that, that I look at. Where do, where do, 
where do these, uh, where do people kind of, how they, how do they process the world around them? The second thing to look at is where are you with your practice? So if these are your own reflections, you know, to kind of narrow down, what should you be doing? So I guess just kind of to kind of button that one up is, do you find, you know, straight, your strengths and weaknesses there? Are you familiar with, yeah, you know, I process a lot through here. Um, and then a weakness would be, you know, if you're really into the intellectual types of practices and the wisdom side, you know, there should be some balance and we could talk more about this, just kind of even all of these things out, but there should, there should be some meta and loving kindness in there as, as well, right? If we feel really disconnected to, you know, the body practices, then maybe some walking meditation and, you know, becoming more familiar with the sense doors, you know, in, in your practice. So, so we definitely want to bring these things back into balance, right? The second thing to look at is where are you on the path? This is really important. Um, we don't, I see a lot of people becoming stagnant and, and myself included, you know, we want to feel a sense of progression. So where are you with the path? Are you, um, kind of rehashing the, the, this, the same things over and over, or, or do you feel a sense of, do you feel a sense of progression in your path? And this comes through practice. And again, having things stuck in the intellect, we, we'll just go over the same thing with our teachers. We go to the same kind of Dharma talks and everything, but we don't feel a sense of progression because, um, you know, there's a, there's a sense of, um, you know, that we just need to, to, to sit, to sit with them more. Um, but also obviously looking at the other side of that is that if we are new, then that listening and contemplation is really important, right? So in the beginning of the practice, there will be more listening and contemplating and all that. And if our practice has fallen off, like maybe we we're not that motivated uh, to practice for some reason, we've kind of fallen off the practice. So then more listening, more contemplation, more, more the intellectual is actually a really good thing to get our motivation, you know, back, back up. I think something that fits in there too, is just to be aware of things, of practices that resonate with you, that bring you joy. You know, I think this falls into that category it's kind of similar to, to how you process information, but it's really good to know those practices that are just your favorites because those help us kind of with our longevity of the practice. Like, oh, I really, I really enjoy those. Those are my go-to practices, right? And then in the same context, if you're at the point where you've been meditating for a while, but your concentrations is when I see a lot of your concentration is not so good. Um, our mind is still a bit suffering from dullness, it'd be a really good time to focus on shamatha, like really, really get a handle on, on your concentration practices. Um, you know, maybe do shorter practices, but with higher attentiveness, you know, for example, right? The third thing, so... So yeah, we have the, the 
type of person that we are, how we process information, where are we on the path, we contemplate this. And the third thing, which is, what is your lifestyle like? What is your, what's your daily life like? And this one takes some self-awareness because our, our practice may need to shift and change as our life shifts and change. And this becomes a sticky point because the comparing mind kicks in. And what happens is, is that we're, we're meditating for 20 minutes a day and it's awesome and incredible or 45 minutes or hours a day. And then our life changes and we have an idea that I can't do my practice anymore because I don't have 20 minutes, 45 minutes or an hour. But I have five minutes, you know, and so the, we have to be able to shift and, and change accordingly to um, our life that day. Like the holidays, it's like some people are traveling, um, it might be busier time and whatnot. This is our life. Like it has to work today. This is it. It's not like, it's not like, oh, the Dharma, you know, when I settle down and my meditation is going to settle down, you know, all we have to do is be awake, like really strive not to put it off. Like the excuse to put it off, like, oh, when life settles down or something, like see if we can shift and change it. You know, if like, you know, obviously if, if I'm working with somebody in like the real meat of life let's say i'm working with um uh, a doctor who is a mother with you know two children and she runs her own business and she's she's in full throttle like life right obviously how she meets her meditation program is going to be far different somebody than somebody who is retired and yet her practice can be just as rich just as incredible like just as fruitful as the retired person right we just need to shift and understand what the practice looks like with which is i'm here i am awake right i am here i'm awake i'm meeting this moment with with wakefulness, with compassionate awareness, as we did today. We could be compassionately aware anywhere, anytime. So that person is going to focus a lot on informal practice with short little moments of formal practice throughout the day, right? But, it, but she's not going to wait and say, oh, when my kids grow up <laughs> and move out of the house, then I'm going to practice, you know? We have to be able to shift. So we have to know what kind of person we are, how we process information. Where are we in, with the path? You know, am I, am I focused more on deepening the understanding of the teachings experientially, or am I still absorbing that information? Because maybe I don't have enough information yet. And third, how is it working for me today? Like, not to make an excuse. Like, today... My life is I'm traveling, it's the holidays, and I, I'm going to meet, you know, family, the in-laws and all that stuff. What's my Dharma practice look like, you know, today?
the, those three things. And, and this goes down like, you know, that's kind of macro micro is when we sit down on the cushion, it's a big thing, which I didn't really even think of. It took me a long time, like years to me, for me to ask this question to people. I was really surprised by the answer. Um, even in, even in retreat, which is when you sit down, you should know what you're doing when you sit down to practice before you sit down, you should know what practice am I doing? I'm not just sitting down and they're going to figure it out after I sit down. So in other words, I'm going to, my butt's going to hit the cushion. I'm going to think about my intention for the practice I'm actually going to go through one right here. Maybe do a bit of a screen share a second. Okay, so this is um, so an example. Many of you have seen this. I've, I've shared this a bunch of time. I, at one point, I came up with a little sample sadhana. And I could share this again with everybody. But... Uh, but this is very, very general. You know, um, everyone see that okay? Yeah. So, so this is a, this is a sample. You know, for those of you not familiar with the term sadhana, it's like a a meditation practice. There's many many examples of what you could do in in a particular session. This is a this is like a template. You know, um, of what one looks like before you sit down. Know what you're gonna do. Even if it's five minutes, 10 minutes, 20 minutes, know what you're practicing. So this has a, a Tibetan kind of flavor to it. You know, to, the Tibetans like to use a template like this. And there are static and dynamic aspects to their practices. What I mean by that is if you take a hundred different sadhanas that focus on a bunch of different things, whether it be purification practices with deities to simple breath meditations, there's going to be static aspects um, of the practice. And you're going to see this a lot, which is, you know, intention, um, motivation, a contemplation on motivation, contemplation on intention, um, some devotion, uh, a refuge prayer, prayer, like taking refuge in the Buddha, the Dharma, the Sangha. So these are taking refuge in your inner qualities instead of the outward circumstances. There'll be some development in Bodhicitta. This could be a quick contemplation of the four aspects of, of love, but there'll be some kind of enlivened you know, heart practices and then they might stay with those or they go into some other core practices that focus around, you know, these are the three big aspects, right? We have loving kindness, shamatha, which is concentration, and then we have vipassana and insight. So these are the three core practices. Um, one thing I didn't put in here for the more intermediate, you know, advanced students is that is resting in open awareness so these you know these practices will all kind of end with well actually i have it here like shamatha without object choiceless awareness right and then dedicating the merit you know which is dedicating the merit of the practice for uh 
for the fruition of your intention, that this intention may, uh, the, the, the merit generated within this practice is dedicated to the fruition of your intention, right? So before you sit down, what are you going to do, right? Which, uh, what kind of outline are you going to follow? Yeah. Sometimes, like, so I'm really, really tired. I will just read mine. I, I do a, a Buddha of compassion sadhana, which is almost exactly like this. And in the middle here, there is a content. It's more of a loving kindness practice where you generate loving kindness towards all beings. And you say a few om mani padme oms, it's a simple mantra. And if I'm super tired at night, I like to do them twice a day. I would just simply read it and then fall asleep. <laughs> but at least, at least I, I did something, right? Um, at least I kept up with it, right? So that's another good thing that, you know, if you have a written out sadhana um, like that, which again, I could share in a variety of different ways with you guys. If, if anyone wants it, um, you could even just, because I know a lot of people have it, you could even just, you know, Email me, I'll send it right to you, PDF. Um, if you do have a written, if you have it written out, it is nice. Like I, I record a lot of my teachings, uh, not of my teachings, but my meditations, if they're elaborate or whatever I'm doing right then, actually in my life, most of them are all recorded too. Um, I just, I use it, my, my voice record, very, very simple. You could voice record yourself on your phone very simply and i have that locked and loaded because if i do have dull mind i will play my practice to myself and that helps my mind to become enlivened um and then of course you know when that recording ends i'm i'm there with with my mind so that's another trick you know to have it written out have it recorded um, and know what you want to do. So in, in the larger group, before we go in, like we might just stay in the larger group for this one, actually, because I want all of us to, to learn from one another. Um, so yeah, any, any questions or comments, you know, on, on the practices, like, any, you know, feel free to ask me, you know, things that help you get to the cushion because it's huge and don't be shy. We all have that, that issue <laughs> of, of getting, getting to the cushion. And then, yeah, any questions on exactly where you are in the path and maybe which thing, what practices are best for you at this point and any other, you know, comments on um, what, what helps you which what practices maybe that you like so we could we could learn from one another with you know what are you doing now and, and what do you what really um enlivens your spirit um in in the practice well i could say what <clears throat> helps me most to come to the cushion is having a group practice Mm -hmm. And the regular 7 a.m. in the morning, a commit to sit with Wendy is awesome. And then 7 p.m. at night is another 
great group practice. So, you know, I set my alarm five minutes before and check in and that works great for me. Thank you. Um, what I like about that already, you know, that you just mentioned is just self-awareness, like what works just to know what works for us. Like, like you mentioned, having structure and, and a group to get to. Um, awesome. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. I think what I'm realizing to Claire's point is while I was trying the practice on my own, um, I got a, I was better at it pre pandemic, but it's been a real challenge for me these last couple of years to just come back to it on my own. Mm -hmm. Um, so having this group and really for me, helping establish accountability until I can get back to that place with myself, I think is really useful. Great. So, yeah. I, I saw you shared your email. Thank you. I'll send you a note after this session. Okay, great. Yeah. Um, I've meditated for a lot of years, but uh, wasn't always consistent with my meditation. And I found that making meditation a priority, doing it first thing in the morning, uh, whatever I had to do, I knew when I had to start my day. And by setting the alarm clock, you know, 45 minutes earlier, I knew I could get my first meditation in before the phone started ringing, before I had anything to do. So for me, making it a priority just made it much easier to always get that first meditation in. And then, you know, the day slows down. It's not hard to get the, the last one in. And I found that, you know, my meditation is even productive when I'm sleepy. You know, maybe I go out, you know, to a restaurant or something or hang out with some somebody at a party and then I come back and it's like, well, it's late. Should I meditate or should I go to sleep? And I'm finding that even if I'm sleepy, uh, the meditation is still very helpful. And so in my practice, I used to uh, use the breath uh, exclusively. And more recently, maybe the past five years or so, I've been using Zen koans or mantras. Uh, I just find that it concentrates the mind a lot faster. Um, and um, then I also like choiceless awareness, uh, you know, I'll start out focusing on my breath uh, and then whatever is predominant in my experience, uh, I'm feeling my butt on the cushion, I'm hearing the sound outside the door, oh, there's a thought, there's a feeling, there's, and then just watching uh, impermanence, watching everything coming and going and, um, you know, not allowing a fleeting thought to become a train of thought leading to an emotion, leading to a mood, leading to, that's really been helpful. And just recently I've started adding some loving kindness because um, Zen sometimes can make you a little detached from your feelings. <laughs> um, since you're cutting off thought continuously, it, it uh, tends to uh, kind of mute the emotions uh, somewhat. So I think by adding that, it's given me a nice balance. Wonderful, thank you. Yeah, that that um, it made me re remember, like, or just think of something that, like, you mentioned in the morning, which you know, I think a lot of us, you know, that's kind of the the, the sacred time. And um, I noticed over the years that I just 
make a point to wake up earlier than the house that I'm in, you know, um, and this could be going, this could be traveling, you know, if I take trips with, with, with people, you know, my dad and I take these dirt bike trips and stuff, for example, and whatever environment I am, whatever the wake up time is, I'm going to wake up earlier than my surroundings, whatever that might be, just kind of making that a habit over the years has really helped me because I know that I'll be able to practice earlier than, than things get going, you know? So just a little something to try out. Yeah, so, yeah, I know that when you um, first started talking about the kind of way we approach this personally, and I, I am definitely from the intellect is I'll cho pick up a book and want to read about it and rather than sit with it. And so I, that's always been um, but part of my increased awareness that I need to get away from the intellect as much and sit with it because when I do sit, the practice that speaks to me the most are the heart practices, the meta, things like that. So um, that's a kind of good transition for me. But at, when you also mentioned uh, things that make it hard to sit, to take the time, I asked myself, what is it? I mean, why do I not take the time every day to do this? And um, part of it is I think I put uh, the needs of others before myself, whether it's someone in the family or it's a job or something, I feel like I should be doing more and I need to get to the next thing rather than just taking a few minutes um, for me, which also benefits all these others as well. So I try mm -hmm. to keep that in mind. And in the end, that's what um, motivates me to come back is the benefits. So, yeah, I don't know if any of that made sense, but. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, thank you very much, and 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 I see that with oh my, myself and and everything. I think that's probably the the biggest one is like I'm I'm definitely a people pleaser for one. So ever since you know as a teenager and started meditating, um, I I would be really aware of what my my parents wanted me to do, and I felt weird sitting and doing nothing. <laughs> <laughs> you know, locked away in my house. And then the second thing is just that the carrot that's always out there that we need to be doing something to get somewhere. And I, and I think for me, you know, the contemplations, um, which I'll just put in here, this is why they are my favorite practice. Period. End of story. Because we, if we contemplate we have a precious human life that everything's impermanent that um you know dukkha that there's there's nothing sustainable and reliable outside of ourselves and the effect of karma like wholesome and unwholesome activities you know thoughts words and actions like that core absolute truth that it's not out there like if that becomes experiential like I cannot find happiness outside of myself because it's impermanent. Like even if I got it, it could, it's fleeting. That urge to find certainty and uncertainty, like 
Like I can recognize that it, it's not out there like over and over and over and over again. We wake up in the morning, we have that to-do list and we forget we're going to die. We could die at any moment with the to-do list. <laughs> and even if everything was knocked off the to-do list, my mind would still be turbulent. Right? I still have attachment and aversion, hope and fear. I have to find it within myself. I have to find it within myself right now. Now I know I'm awake and I have motivation. I've learned about the Dharma. You know, I have all these amazing causes and conditions that have appeared. I have this precious, precious, precious gem of knowing where happiness exists. I have to practice right now. I have to practice right now. Like if we can contemplate these things, even intellectually, like we know we cannot find it out there. It, and again, not, nothing, imperm, in, nothing permanent, right? Nothing wrong with anything that we can get outside and, and experience with the senses, you know, passionate, passion for life is, is, is awesome. Um, but to really find a sense of home base, we take refuge in the Buddha, the Dharma, the Sangha, our own Buddha nature. Um, I was just uh, going to share that. Um, so I, I like uh, to do the, you know, first thing in the morning kind of practice. Um, and then you were talking a little bit about how, you know, sometimes life changes and you just have to, sort of roll with it and um a few weeks back I hurt I hurt my I injured my back bad enough to the point that I was having difficulty even sitting or putting a sock on or you know it was just um you know uh yeah just a painful experience and I had to I had to sort of change what I was doing and I was I started focusing more on like really gentle yeah mindful movement what where do i feel it now is it you know where where is it resonating now and it, and strangely just that i guess that attention that focus on that you know on moving like that and being focused in and concentrating on it um i actually you know i kind of came out of it you know i moved past it um which was sort of surprising you know yeah <laughs> like I was, I was you know I'd gone deep like oh I'm never gonna walk again I'm never gonna mm. you know <laughs> mm. yeah the mind um, goes yeah Ooh. but anyway um it really it really worked just to sort of shift change things up a bit but uh yeah very nice yeah thank you thank you for sharing yeah, I guess I'm like five years or so into practice and uh, just looking back, noticing how things fluctuate, um, you know, coming out of an MBSR class, for instance, with a 45 minute commitment uh, for sitting and, you know, that'll last for a while and then something will change in life and oh, it gets a little shorter and you know, I'm the kind of person who I, I like to do the most important thing 
in the morning as well. So I, I like to wake up and sit and get some exercise in. Um, and uh, then uh, I think it was in August, my work schedule shifted. I didn't have to get up any earlier, but I had to hop out of bed, shower and get to work. So I kind of lost my, <laughs> you know, that anchor of my morning routine and just noticing how and that lasted through October. And um, my practice became more ad hoc. And that's okay. I'd get it in when I could. And, uh, but I also, uh, I typically don't do guided meditations, but I did during that time, especially that I think that really helped me. And, um, you know, maybe I don't, I don't know what that was, but maybe maybe even anchoring the intellect a little bit, just like getting me, getting me, um, just getting me to do it. Um, after my day has already started and I'm off and moving and I've got things to do. And um, so, yeah, anyway, and then I've noticed when I go on retreat, uh, I typically go on a week retreat at the beginning of the year, but I usually come out of that fairly motivated. So just watching the fluctuations and letting that be okay. And just seems to be the way of it. So anyway, that's my observation. Perfect. Yeah. Thank you. I was listening to a, a Joseph Goldstein talk and um, he was leading a, a longer retreat and they were doing multiple interviews and this guy came and said, you know, I, I don't know. Oh yeah. Yeah. He's like, should I be focusing on my breath? Should I be focusing on loving kindness? Should I be focusing on this and that? And, and Joseph was like, well, I don't know what, what, what do you feel like? Like, what do you, what do you want to focus on? You know, he's like, Oh, you know, my, the breath of the sensation of my belly, like I want to focus on that. It's like, okay, cool. You know? So then the next interview comes and says, you know, I think I really want to focus on, on meta more. I've had enough of this breath stuff. And he's like, okay, cool. Like, that's fine. I go focus on that one, you know? And then uh, the guy comes back and says, I'm not quite sure again. I'm confused again. And he's like, you know, the, this is just doubt, you know, it's just a hindrance of doubt, you know, um, and again, like I was mentioning, like we have enough information uh, already, like mindfulness needs to be mindful of something. It doesn't matter what it doesn't, it doesn't matter what we're mindful of. Actually, there's insights all the way. Um, it all leads back to awareness. So we could do a very subtle meditation on awareness of awareness. We could do a meditation on the breath, but that which is aware is being activated. That which is aware of the breath, is aware of feelings, is aware of body. You know, walking meditation is equal to sitting meditation. This is an example of that, right? Because awareness is activated. Um, you know, in, in different traditions, we have a lot of different styles of loving kindness practice. You know, we have some, some of you have heard of the Tibetan uh, practice of Tonglin. And then we have the meta phrases. We have another practice called the seven point cause and effect method, which is a Tibetan practice where you visualize, you know, you ponder all beings have been my mother in the past. And 
kind of an elaborate thing there. They all work <laughs> like they're all good. Um, whatever ignites that the heart for you, right? A story I heard about Sung San, uh, the leader of the Kwanum Zen School, yeah. was that he was uh, teaching his students, um, what is this? Don't know. And then he changed it to clear mind, clear mind, clear mind, don't know. And somebody said, well, you, you can't change this. I've been doing that for two years. You're making me confused. And he said, yeah. You can think Coca-Cola, Coca-Cola, Coca-Cola. It doesn't matter. Yeah, that's wonderful. Yeah, Lama Yeshi, you know, Lama Yeshi and Lama Zopa started at PMT centers, you know, all around the world. So they were the, for the most people back in, in the early 60s and 70s, there was like their first introduction to Tibetan Buddhism and they brought all of those Tibetan Buddhist images with them. So introduction of all the deities, you know, Chenrezig and um, Raja Safra and Raja Dara, like all these, all these deities and, and people were getting really caught up with devotion to these deities, you know, and he's like, Hey, it's not about the deity. So, you know, for him, you know, he would often use Mickey Mouse. He's like, if Mickey Mouse does it for you, Mickey Mouse, you know, like you could be devoted to Mickey Mouse. You could be devoted to Pajadara, like, like trusting ourselves that we understand like why we're doing it. And I think this goes a lot with the experience because we're cultivating mindfulness, we're cultivating a devotion, we're cultivating gratitude, we're cultivating loving kindness, we're cultivating compassion. Um, the external things fall away when, you know, those triggers fall away when we tap into the actual stream of it, right? When, when we be able to, when we're, when we experientially taste these things, we realize that it's not about what's triggering them or what we think is tricking them, even the practice. Like remember that these, we're talking about practices that are a means to an end. Like they're, all the practices are there to be dropped. <clears throat> they are simply doorways and they are there to be abandoned, right? Um, yeah. but they're useful. <laughs> use them to not use them. I like the saying that all of the techniques are dualistic, uh, but they're a thorn to remove a thorn. I like that. Yeah, that's good. I think there's also uh, a pitfall that we have to be careful of in the practice. Uh, Zen master Sien Song likes to talk about uh, wanting enlightenment is a bad Zen sickness. Um, so seeking and using these practices in the wrong way uh, with attachment to it, to an end result. Uh, most important thing is just to relinquish thought and experience your awareness. Um, 
but it, it's important for this not to become an embellishment of the ego, you know, uh, trying to, you know, corner the market on universal consciousness or, or uh, you know, loving kindness or whatever, it, it can become another uh, source of aggrandizement for the ego. And we're really just trying to see the illusion of the self so that we can experience reality, the present moment with clarity. Uh, so, you know, most important thing I think is to sit, but also we have to, to uh, make sure that we don't become attached to the practice. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that's a, a grand paradox, you know, that that one of intention, you know, so, you know, when that is shared, people go back, well, what's my intention? Well, why do I say my intention? Um, you know, your intention is there to be, in, in, in a way, it's there to be dropped, you know, may I attain enlightenment for the benefit of all beings. It's a beautiful intention. Um, and then the, the practice of getting there, but to understand that the practice of getting there is, is not necessarily through striving mind. You know, this is the, the spiritual path is counter to everything else we do, you know, because everything else we do in life, we, we do to get there. And we, it's a kind of a linear thing. We build upon things. There's time and space and, and all of this stuff and how we get, there back to ourselves is through subtraction so we set our intention and then we surrender you know we 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 trust that i am what i'm seeking and we we, we move into that so um it's a it's a great paradox um of of setting that that strong intention it's the same paradox i think that we have with discipline you know like this practice takes discipline there's, there's no doubt about it. And a lot of the, the Tibetan texts, because, you know, by their own admission, they're very lazy. It's a lazy culture. They're hanging around, hanging out with the yaks, milking some yaks, chilling, you know. So a lot of the text is fighting against laziness. Like, don't be lazy, you know, practice today. You know, I think many of you know the Nundro practices, you know, where they do a hundred thousand of four or more core practices. They came up with that number just randomly. They're like, let's do a hundred thousand because people are really lazy, <laughs> you know, like, um, so, so yeah, there's that, there's a paradox there is that it takes effort to become effortless, you know, so we should, we should meet the practice with that same kind of flexibility of like, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm sitting and I'm, 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 I'm striving in one way, but what I'm striving for is non-striving. You know, I'm striving for non-attachment. And if I look a little bit deeper, I can't even find the person who's striving, like, <laughs> you know, who, who's meditating, who, who wants enlightenment? Like, where is this I that thinks it needs something, you know, that kind of a deal. So um, I think holding that and that paradox, it's really helpful, you know, to see both of those sides, you know.
my favorite thing ever said about enlightenment was by you, Casey. Enlightenment is an accident. Meditation makes you accident prone. Yeah. And of course, I stole that from Choingam Chumpa, who, yeah, who said that. I love it. Um, Yeah. So true. I was just gonna quickly sort of ask or share that um, that for for me, I sometimes um, when I need some motivation, spontaneous practice can kind of help. Like a, just during the day, um, uh, I'm getting into a yeah, I'm having a hard time concentrating at work or something. I might do a quick. Um, loving kindness meditation for myself usually <laughs> yeah you know like it's okay i know you're being naughty or whatever but, yeah. but you're gonna be okay um other times like just uh um walking in the woods or something um to sit down and kind of contemplate quickly or momentarily the wind and the trees and the sort of the preciousness of experiencing mm-hmm. that experiencing breathing and so that can help me want to get to the to the cushion for more you know yeah yeah wonderful I I I love that I I love the short practices you know there's so often I can't tell you how many times almost a day I hear this which is I want to start meditating again you know I I want to throw a tv through a window like (laughs) because I'm like Inhale, breathing in, I know I'm breathing in, breathing out, I know I'm breathing out. You're back. I totally get it. I mean, I've said it to myself for 20 years or whatever, but I realize now there's no getting back. The moment you say, I, I want to get back to my meditation practice was a moment stolen. You know, like the moment you want to get back to your practice, breathe in and know that you're breathing in. Breathe out, know that you're breathing out. It's the first was the first lines of the Satipatthana Sutta, you know? It's like real, it's the real deal. I'm, I'm doing something and I know that I'm doing something. That's all the Buddha taught. Like, I'm here and I know that I'm here. I'm eating, I know I'm eating, I'm walking, I know I'm walking, whatever. So I'm breathing, I know that I'm breathing. Beautiful, like we're back and we can go back over and over and over and over all day long. Like my meditation is all of a sudden, you know, I feel that sense of, this is something about us. We want to feel a sense of progression, you know, like, oh, I'm back 10 times today. I meditated 10 times today because I knew I was breathing or I just knew I was walking, you know? Um, and again, we have, and I do it too. I have this, this comparing mind of like what practice means and what it looks like and you know, I got to be at the altar and it's got to be for so long and all of that. But it's such a hindrance, like that whole concept, the whole thing, you know, just back, just here. All right. So maybe let's just meditate for these last five minutes or so. We'll do a little dedication of the merit.
So maybe just reflecting on talking a lot about like spiritual motivation, spiritual urgency. So reflecting on this gift of practice that we know where to find sustainable and reliable joy and contentment. Noticing samsara is constantly shifting, which is a beautiful thing. Not so dependable. If we look for happiness there, if we look for a sense of stability there, but beautiful in its own way. And part of the beauty is that we have this moment. Contemplating karma, which is how do we use this moment? We use it to come back to awareness, kind, compassionate awareness. We know that this is a good investment. We know if we come back to kindness and we come back to compassion, this also very, very good investment. So contemplating how we are interconnected, interdependent. Thinking of all of our brothers and sisters, that we're not able to join us or able to connect or even know about inner freedom. Dedicating all the wisdom, the togetherness, the kindness, the compassion that we generated here together. Dedicating the merit to them. May all beings everywhere without exception, may they all be happy, truly, truly happy and free from suffering. You have just listened to a recording from Insight LA in Long Beach. For more information, please visit us at insightla.org.